Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is the third part in a series on equity, inclusion, and diversity in the physical therapy world and beyond. And parts one and two were recorded live at CSM as part of the After Dark series organized by Sean Hagee. This is part three, and these are the afterthoughts from the After Dark panel. So you'll hear from all five panelists, Dr. Rupal Patel, Dr. Monique Carruth, Sherry Teague, Dr. Lisa Van Hoos, and Dr. Uchenna Osai on their thoughts on how that panel went and what their biggest takeaways were. And I want to thank all of them for taking the time out of their busy schedules to record this a few weeks after the panel. And I also want to thank them for a great education that I felt I received. And I feel like my empathy level has just gone up uh, substantially after listening to their stories and hearing their truth. So everyone, enjoy part three of CSM After Dark. What were your big takeaways from the CSM After Dark panel this year, now that you've had a week or so to be removed from it and kind of think about what all the information that came out that night? All right. This is Rupal Patel. And um, I guess my biggest takeaways, I I probably have uh, quite a few, but I'll try to limit it to just a few things. Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned was um, just one, just phenomenal a group of ladies that I was with on the panel, and that everyone had a unique perspective. Um, but you know, the 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 thing that I that resonated with me was that everyone also needed to feel safe to share their story. And I think just the format and the fact that it was a small, intimate group, and um, uh, it, it made it. Uh, easier, I guess, to share some vulnerabilities, which sometimes is harder to do. And I think those vulnerabilities and being able to share your unique perspective is really important because it allows us as physical therapists, as educators, you know, as just human beings to really be able to look, listen, and hopefully empathize or feel um, with people uh, you know, of diverse backgrounds um, and, and really look beneath the surface or the facade or the face to learn about what makes them diverse, what makes them unique and uh, how we could go about as a profession or as just in our personal interactions, uh, how, how to bring them in, how to be more inclusive and how do we go about, you know, addressing things like equity uh, within you know our profession as well as uh, with the patients that we treat. So I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. Also talking to the panelists, uh, my fellow panelists afterwards, you know we talked about we need more of these kind of venues where um, we have different people uh, from different uh, diverse backgrounds sharing their unique perspectives and stories. And I know one of my biggest thing is that, you know, as, as a profession, as an association, APTA, 
you know, the big thing is like, how do we get more diversity in leadership roles? And, you know, I'm an elected member of the APTA nominating committee. And I think I was um, told by um, uh, uh, one of the APTA staff that I'm like the first Asian uh, Indian to be elected to an APTA office. And how does that feel? You know, and I hadn't really thought about that, but I'm like, wow, uh, our profession is nearly a hundred years old. And uh, I, I'm the first really. And so that was surprising. But, you know, at the same time, I think that, um, as I said, I believe in my talk that growing up, I um, didn't have many role models that looked like me that came from similar backgrounds. And so, I, you know, I'm not sure if um, other physical therapists out there uh, that come from diverse backgrounds suffer from the same type of lack of role models. But um, that's something that I think that, you know, we need to grow. Um and provide a space, so to speak, for, um, you know, people of diverse backgrounds and diverse cognitive thoughts to be able to have a space where they can share and then um, identify folks that perhaps have aspirations for leadership roles and then figure out ways that we can kind of help them uh, in terms of that, you know, journey. And I have to say that has been a consistent takeaway from everyone so far is that having leaders like yourself and like the other women on this panel to look up to helps the younger generation of physical therapists say, hey, well, now that's someone that looks like me and I can now relate to this and I can aspire to these roles because these people are already doing it. And yes, I, I have had that you know, feedback from um, members after my election that, you know, you know, that was like, wow, okay, if, if you can do it, maybe we can and tell us about your journey. And what did it take? And, and like some really personal conversations with people that I really don't know at all, you know, but they felt comfortable enough to come and approach me, um, because I did look like them. And I, you know, I, and so they were like, wow, let's, let's ask her, you know, and so I, I think that was one aspect that I did not expect, but you know, uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's part of my role that I hope that I will be able to bring others along and kind of, you know, give them that hand up, so to speak, in terms of what is it that you know perhaps they can do to help prepare themselves and um, and also you know ways to um, not feel so uh, vulnerable sometimes, I guess, and and figure out a way to be able to share. Um, your story and your journey uh, with people. I think that's um, important. Yeah, it's very powerful. And if I can touch on one thing that you spoke on in the beginning, so if people haven't listened to the very first podcast on CSMs, the CSM part one, I suggest go back to listening to that. As you were telling your story, I think one thing that was really interesting to me is that, you know, your parents came here from India and all they knew is like Dr. Lawyer. Yeah, kind Dr. Of, lawyer, Engineer, and Nurse. Yeah, yeah Dr. Lawyer, Engineer, and Nurse. Yeah. So what advice do you have to maybe some up-and-coming students who might be facing the same thing from their parents? How's a good way, what's a good way to talk to their parents or, or their guardians or about wanting this to make this decision to go into physical therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, one, I think the times are different now than they were um, when I was uh, faced with those issues, because I think um, 
just with technology and with the advent of the internet, I mean, parents can find out about lots of things very quickly. I mean, my daughter's in high school, the high school counselors, career affairs, everything that we have now, I think uh, makes it easier for parents to learn um, about physical therapy as a profession. And certainly if you've had personal experience with physical therapy uh, as a patient, that makes it easier. But I think there's still, you know, well, who else do you know in our community that is a physical therapist, you know? And so I think that's uh, that's my biggest takeaway is to find someone, if your parents are hesitant and wanting to learn more, find someone that they can relate to that is a physical therapist in your community, okay? Um, you can look at the APTA membership roster. You can, you know, look at who's in your clinics in your community and, you know, reach out to them. I, I don't know a single physical therapist that if a student or a potential person reach out to them and say, hey, I want to learn more and my parents are interested in talking to someone who knows, I, I, not many of us will say no, you know what I mean? So I think that's the biggest thing. And I, and I do tell that to high school students um, that I talk to and middle school students when I go do career fairs um, um, is that, you know, reach out to folks that you know in your own community um, and, and have, have them, you know, be the one to be your mentor. Great advice. And now, as an educator, are you seeing a more diverse crowd of students coming up into physical therapy school at this time? So as an educator living in Houston, Texas, and um, teaching, uh, you know, uh, at a university, Texas Women's University here in Houston, I would say that, you know, we're probably... Uh, uh, more of the exception than the rule because we do live in a very diverse state and a diverse city. And uh, so we do have uh, a diversity in, in our program. And so um, I don't have the statistics in terms of our latest class, but, you know, I, I think we do. Um, I, I would still say that um, we, being in Texas, we probably get more um, folks that have Asian and Latino backgrounds in our um, student cohorts, um, but the African American um, is is still uh, you know in terms of uh, number of students that we get that are that apply and are accepted is probably lower. You know, though we do have some, but you know, not as much as what you would say is um, the the current population in Houston or in Texas. You know. Great. Well, you know, it's it takes a, a long time to steer a ship, right? To turn a ship around. Yes. So hopefully with the younger generation, learning more about what physical therapy is, we'll have people from all walks of life coming into the profession, which will only make it better, right? Yeah. And now, any other big takeaways? Um, so I think the, the big thing is, you know, and I think Lisa may have said it during her part, um, but that we need to kind of move beyond just talking about diversity and, and really putting some traction or action behind it. And so, you know, I think this um, CSM After Dark was a great start. And there was a lot of kind of energy and maybe not uh, enthusiasm, but, you know, there was a lot of like, wow, we, we, this is great. We, what do we do with this? You know, how do we take this further? And so I think that's what uh, would be my takeaway is that, you know, I would um, like to see something actionable come out of it. Um, I 
haven't wrapped my head around what that would look like. And, um, you know, perhaps listening to the podcast again and, and listening to the folks again, I, I, I may have a different perspective, but, you know, I think we're ready for action, you know, move beyond just let's talk about it to let's do something, you know, about it. So that would be my biggest takeaway. Excellent. Excellent. And if people want to find out more about you or they want to reach out to you, what is the best way they can do that? Well, people can certainly email me um, uh, and um, they can find me on Twitter as well. And so those are probably the two best ways that they can reach out to me. What is your Twitter handle? uh, My Twitter handle is at RuPaulPT. So it's at R-U-P-A-L-P-T. Perfect. And then we can have all these links in the show notes for this episode. So if people want to get in touch with you, one click and they're done. They've got you. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Okay. Well, RuPaul, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you again for your honesty and your well thought out story at CSM After Dark. I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Karen. I look forward to listening to the rest of the podcast too. And a big thank you to Dr. Rupal Patel. And up next, we have Dr. Monique Carruth giving her final thoughts on the CSM After Dark panel. Okay. Uh, my name is Monique Carruth, and I'm a physical therapist in the state of Maryland. I was one of five women who sat on the CSM After Dark panel to discuss diversity and inclusion. At first, I was skeptical about, you know, talking because, I don't want to scare people or make them feel extremely uncomfortable because this is indeed a sensitive uh, subject for many, especially those on the majority end of things. Um, After hearing the other four women speak, it actually encouraged me to be more forthcoming with my experiences and my stories because I know I'm not alone. I've seen other minority women, uh, women in general, uh, immigrants suffer almost daily being different from what is normally accepted, uh, being treated differently, maybe as a student, as a professor, as a clinician, even as a business owner. And it's very important that we highlight these issues so we can make others aware of their surroundings, uh, the things that they say, be aware of the thoughts and how you actually respond to patients. And that way we can help to make the profession a more united front. What I took especially from uh, Lisa's uh, story and also from Sherry's story um, and RuPaul's and Uchenna is that even though we were all women, there was difference in ethnicity, also difference in sexuality and gender. So diversity shouldn't just be based on color or gender. There are other issues as well, whether it be our religious beliefs or cultural beliefs as well. Inclusion shouldn't just be like, okay, let's start including a woman or a black person or a gay person or a transgender person and stuff like that. It should, we should look at it as, okay, we're all physical therapists. Uh, we should all be qualified and 
not because you're male means that you are superior or better than a female or not because you are white you're better than someone who is black or not because you're straight you're better than someone who is gay um, or not because you're Christian, you're better than someone who is Muslim or Hindu. So that's my, my take on it. And I just hope that, you know, for the coming years to come, we become a more inclusive um, profession so that we all become better. And I think that's beautifully said. And one thing that I was struck with seeing all of you ladies up there on the panel was, isn't this wonderful? that up-and-coming physical therapists or maybe high school students or people thinking maybe I want to be a physical therapist can look at that panel and say, there's someone that's more like me there. And so it helps to identify with the profession and may perhaps help bring you know, more diversity or inclusion within the profession as we move forward. Uh, yes, I agree. I remember... Um when I was in Anaheim in California um, three years ago, I actually went to a woman's health talk. I think it was something about stilettos or something like that. I can't remember the exact um, topic, but it was a talk empowering women and encouraging women to negotiate better with salaries and stuff like that. I think Anne Wendell and um, Carrie and a couple of other people were on the panel. After the discussion, um, I met a student. I think she was a first-year student. She mentioned to me that it's hard because she doesn't see anyone who represents her. And I was like, you know, there, there are quite a bit of us. We are not as visible, but we do exist. And I've seen that same student for the next two CSMs. I saw her in um, San Antonio, and I actually saw her at the CSM after that talk and I said I remember you and she was like yeah I remember you too and I was like see you actually have people who look like you because um I believe she is um Filipino um but she's also gay so I said you know you have someone actually representing you and I know it's not one of the professions that is talked about in high schools in the U.S., especially in urban schools, to encourage people to get into. It's not really talked about in my home country where, I'm, where I come from, because as I said during the discussion, most teachers and parents want their kids to become lawyers, actual medical doctors, or engineers. Um, so those are the three professions that they try to steer their kids in. So we are already at a disadvantage because it's not something that many guidance counselors would think we would survive in. So it's not really talked about. People like myself and other women, um, physical therapists or black therapists or even gay therapists can actually go into communities or at schools for careers and talk about um, the profession it would actually give better representation um, of the profession and the people that are in it, not the ones who are, as you tend to see, more visible on Facebook or Instagram, um, but that they're actually a minority woman working in the profession as well, too. 
so yes, it is important for people to see someone looking like them and being a role model for them to aspire to um, achieve. Couldn't agree more. And if people want to find more about you and where they can find you so they can look up to you as a role model, where can they find you? Well, I am on Twitter at uh, Physio4U, F-Y-Z-I-O, number four, U. I'm also on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook as uh, Dr. Monique J. Caruth, LLC. After the talk, I spoke to a couple professors and I am actually going to make a commitment to reach out to high schools, even elementary schools, and my community and get a couple of my former classmates together so we can go out on career days and actually represent the profession. Also brainstorming with um, a couple of the physical therapists in preparation for CSM in January, which is going to be held in Washington, D.C. Kind of your backyard there? Yes, pretty much. (laughs) So I'm glad I don't have to be spending... I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Finally, (laughs) something on the East Coast. (laughs) So I'm truly grateful for that. But I'm brainstorming with a couple uh, therapists now and to see how we can be more present in the community leading up to CSM to let people know that, you know, thousands of physical therapists are going to be there and they're not all, you know, white males. Uh, that they're women, that they're minorities as well. And we do target to work in the communities. Um, We do do fitness screening. We do health screens and stuff like that. And there's more to physical therapy than being injured and coming to physical therapy or being an afterthought after pain management has failed or a last-ditch effort before surgery. There's so much more that physical therapy can do. So we want to get that message out into the various communities in the Washington, D.C., Virginia, Maryland area. And I'm hoping that more therapists can actually join us as we get to make more concrete plans uh, leading up to CSM in January. Fabulous. Well, count me in. And I love the fact that we have a clear kind of, here was this talk at CSM and it lead it leads right to a path to action so kudos to you for taking your talk and making something happen so congratulations for that and again thank you so much for coming back on and giving your closing thoughts to the panel i thought it was a wonderful panel and kudos to sean for putting it all together for us so thanks so much monique you're quite welcome karen and yes thank you sean um I'm actually glad I did listen to you and, um, you know, made myself available. And it was a very valiant effort on your part. And I know you took a lot of slack (laughs) for leaving the chat, but we do need guys like him and, you know, Chris and Jamie and others to to help us because this is going to take a united front to actually carry us over. Thanks so much to Dr. Monique Carruth for sharing her thoughts. And up next, we have Sherry Teague. My name is Sherry Teague. And my biggest takeaways were um, that the subject of diversity and inclusion is very multifactorial. Um, There's a lot of things going on with women and women of color. 
and um, gender issues and, and diversity in the LGBTQ plus arena that um, are just really starting to, to begin to be even talked about. I uh, felt like that that was a great start to um, having a conversation, but we had a lot of like-minded individuals in the room. So getting that message spread out um, will be very important. And not only that, getting some action items behind that message. Uh, the second thing is, is that I was really taken aback and, and interested in when the, when Todd asked about um, what they could do, what did we think could happen to make things different? And when we gave him the answer that, that white men need to, to talk to each other and encourage each other to be more diverse, it seemed to be um, a challenge because I was approached by a couple people afterwards and the challenge is still there um, to, to spread it amongst the um, patriarchy, if you will, or the ruling class in our country is still there. So that was my biggest takeaways from it. Yeah. And I have to say, one of my biggest takeaways from you in particular was when you were talking about, as a, let's say, as a PT clinic owner or the clinic you work at at the hospital, just making these small, subtle changes to your intake forms. So can mm-hmm. you kind of talk about that? And is that something that you use when in your practice or when you're seeing patients? Well, when I owned my agency, the very first thing we did was add um, sexual orientation to the list of forbidden discriminations in our company. Um, the typical EEOC statement includes everything but that. And we would have added more issues had we come upon them as we went forward for, for different classes that are marginalized. We also used our intake paperwork. We used patient name versus, um, you know, Miss, Miss, Mr. and all those things like that. Uh, recently, I've had the opportunity to have some testing done and gone to different uh, physicians' offices. And some of the offices are very gender friendly um, with all uh, gender, gender neutral bathrooms and, and access. And others are completely... Uh, separated by gender, including, you know, being one across the room from the other. Uh, So that was, you know, I haven't seen it in practice very much, but we did it when we owned our company for sure. And what was the response you got from patients about that? Nothing probably, right? Did they even think anything of it? Well, we got no no response at all from our patients. They didn't really um, notice the change. And um, but but for p- potential employees, it was a big difference. They were some of the ones that we hired were really happy to see that as an excluded uh, discrimination in our hiring paperwork. So, very positive response on that side. Yeah, and I think getting back to your biggest takeaway, what Todd said, what can we do to help move this forward? Well, isn't this an easy thing that we can all do as physical therapists to help move through different diversity issues within not only our own profession, but within the people that we see as well? Because you just said the employees that you worked with were like, this is great. Right. I would would encourage people to do these kinds of things within whatever the culture and the diversity and and, and more more inclusion. I was kind of educated on the panel that that the word inclusion is probably what we should be using. Mm -hmm. And that that opens up your hiring opportunities and the comfort of your employees from day one when you add that kind of language into your employee paperwork. Right. So it's not just for incoming patients. It's for potential hires as well. Absolutely, because you they want to know that you're a free thinking company and that you're not going to discriminate not only on who you hire but also on who you uh, see who you treat as patients so yeah, and i I thank you. I think that 
They were great takeaways. And like I said, I really appreciated your background and your story during the the CSM panel. And for those of you, if you're just listening to this episode first, go back and listen to part one. Because part one is when you get the stories of all these great ladies. So make sure you do that. So Sherry, anything else you want to add in or, or talk about? Well, I just would say that we didn't get here in one motion. It's been this way for hundreds of years. Um, it'd be nice to see incremental steps um, being taken across the board. And, um, uh, you know, the movement that started now, the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement and the things that are going on um, nationally can be um, sped up significantly if you try to make those incremental changes in your local environment. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the, the global activism can come down and make it a lot easier for your community activism, right? Exactly. Exactly. If you go up to your doctor's office and you have the opportunity that you see the rooms are still gender um, identified and maybe they have one small family um, restroom that you can suggest to them that it would make you know, a lot of their patients more comfortable if everything was gender neutral. And that way there would not be any hesitation in what room a person would go to in public or they wouldn't have that hesitation to, that might open them up to get provide accurate information on their physical and history with the physician or with the, um, pr- the provider if they have those opportunities up front. It's, a, it's like, you know, you only have one chance to make a first impression. And oftentimes those kinds of things, the paper forms and the, and the restrooms and the environment that you walk into is the first impression that you can make with a client. Absolutely. So what you're saying is you may have a better patient experience. You may be serving a better patient experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much, Sherry, for giving us your, your big takeaways from the panel. And if people want to find you, where can they find you? What's your contact info? Um, I'm currently the CFO of um, Cornetian Craft Healthcare Solutions, and they can reach me via my email, which is teague, T-E-A-G-U-E, at valuebeyondthevisit.com. And are you on social media? You're on Twitter, yeah? Yes, um, at Cornetian Craft HCS, I believe. And um, you can search Cornetian Craft at, um, on Facebook as well. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out and coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I hope to be able to do more in the future. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry, for sharing your thoughts. And up next, we have Dr. Lisa Van Hoos. So I would say that my um, biggest takeaways was, number one, that everybody has something. I think everyone had a unique story, but there was a commonality in the fact that their identities um, had almost marginalized them during their PT education, and that as a profession and as, you know, PT programs, that's something for us to look at is, you know, are, are the cultures that we, that we have created, are they really as inclusive as we think they are? Um, I think the next thing was, was that it's important for us to ask questions and for us to be okay with being in those uncomfortable spaces of asking those questions about, you know, who are you really versus making these assumptions about what we think we know about someone based on their external exp- appearance or maybe what we've heard about their backgrounds, but just really taking the time to ask questions. Um, I think what was most positive was that people, both, you know, on the panel and also in the audience, there was, there's this desire for us to be better. 
Um, I just felt that. I felt like everyone was just on pins and needles, kind of like, okay, what do we do? How do we make this better for us and also for future generations of PT professionals? And then I think the last thing was just, just this need to know that we all want compassion. We all want validation that we are worthy. Um, and that there is this need for extra acknowledgement of that when we start talking about, you know, people that are part of these underrepresented minorities that sometimes you might have a double burden or a triple burden that then means that you need just a little more validation that you are worthy, not just to be at the table, but also to be asked to dance. I think that was, those were my things that really stood out to me after, from the conversations. And given those conversations and also given your position as a, an educator, what would you, what advice would you give to someone who maybe is uncomfortable bringing up some of these topics and they want to, but they just don't know how to, how to approach it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think the first part is you always have to ask yourself why, why are you uncomfortable? Um, and really not just the, well, because I, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but really truthfully kind of asking yourself, what are you uncomfortable with? Are you uncomfortable with dealing with your own biases? Are you uncomfortable with the unknown? And then just kind of putting that out there in that open space. And then after that, just asking the question and just when you ask the question, say, I'm really interested in this. I really want to know you. Um, cause I think if people know that you're coming from a good authentic place, most people are willing to ask the question, but first you've got to kind of do some reflection on yourself. And I think that's good advice. And I like the way you advise phrasing it as, Hey, listen, I really want to get to know you. Yes. So once you add that want getting to know you, it's a really different conversation than I'd like to know more about this diversity problem. Yes. You know what I mean? All of a sudden now you're talking from one person to another versus one person to someone else who's supposed, supposedly supposed to represent a whole section. Oh, I think you just summed that up. I mean, the burden of feeling like you are the, you know, you are the one representative of that entire group and thinking, okay, what if I get this wrong or what if I get this right? And I think, you know, we know this from genetics and other biological research that there's more variation within a group than there is between groups. So this thought of that, I'm going to be able to represent, you know, this, this one subgroup that I'm being identified with, that's, that's painfully heavy. That's heavy. And I don't, I don't think most of us want to be there, but if you say, Hey, tell me, you know, tell me what it is to, you know, what's it like to be Karen? That's a totally different question than tell me what it is to be a white woman. (laughs) Right. Question. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And during your uh, your section, when you were telling your story in part one of this, you sort of told a story of where you're from, from in Arkansas. Yes. And I am. I have never even been to Arkansas. I I've never really been to the. I went to CSM was the first time I've been in the quote unquote deep south. Um, <laughs> and that's new. I don't think New Orleans is that deep. Um, <laughs> But 
I am, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania and hearing your story about where you grew up and how it was close to where is where they founded the KKK. Is that right? Yes. We have very strong ties to the KKK. Unbelievable. Yes. I wonder how you were able to maneuver through that culture to where you are now. That's a great question. Um, I often tell people, and I even tell my children this and also my grand candies, <laughs> that um, the beauty of Arkansas is that the racism was so overt, right, so obvious, that it provided a certain amount of safety because you knew where you could and could not be. And um, I actually struggled more when I left Arkansas and moved to Kansas City, Kansas, um, because at that, then at that point, you're dealing more with like implicit bias, right? So now you're kind of second guessing, okay, am I crazy? Am I not crazy? Did that person say what I think they said? Or did they mean that that way? So I think Arkansas allowed me to have a really good perspective of what racism was and what it was not. So that then when I went into other cultures and other environments that I wasn't quite for sure I was able to kind of have this, you know, absolute Z, you know, it's almost like an absolute zero, a reference point where you can say, no, it, you know, this is really what this could have looked like. So then in that point, it almost allowed me to show other people grace in other situations because I was able to say, hey, I feel like this is this is kind of what I perceived in that situation. Is that really what's going on? So although there are were ton of challenges growing up in Arkansas, and there continues to be um, issues where Arkansas could be better in regards to its race relations. It does give you perspective when you go into other places. So that, so there's an upside to every, to every dark cloud, as my grandma used to say. There's always an upside. Yeah, thank you for that. Before we sign off here, what you said during the panel was uh, about your education. I mean, you have your PhD and how people were surprised. That's the word. They were surprised that you had your PhD and that it was, I think at one point, did someone say like, oh, I thought you were the aide or the assistant or, but not that you were the one with the PhD. Oh yeah. I I would say your use of the term surprised is a that's a beautiful word to choose because I think that is true um when people and it still happens and that was one of the things that I spoke about when someone might see my cv or read an article that I wrote and then they meet me in person there there are times that there's that oh you're Lisa Van Hoos it's not a oh, I'm excited to meet you. It's an, oh, you're not what I expected. Mm -hmm. And I, Mm -hmm. my name does not lend itself to, you know, really kind of revealing my ethnicity or my racial background. And so I I do, I I still feel that. I feel that often. And the sad thing is, is, you know, I was, my meditation yesterday was kind of focused in on that, that racism reminds you that, there are certain opportunities that you should not have or cannot have. 
And so even though we've made a ton of progress as a society and also in the PT profession, there are still these reminders that you're not worthy or that you shouldn't be there. And it makes you sometimes even question yourself. Because if you hear somebody question you enough, you start to wonder, am I who I am? Um, And so it it does, it has lasting impacts on you, Um, not just in that moment, but in future moments. You're constantly kind of second guessing yourself. And I think we all kind of struggle from imposter syndrome, but Mm -hmm. racism for professionals really makes that even worse, I think. So. And what advice do you have to, let's say, a younger therapist coming up who wants to be like you? How can, how can they get over that? What do you use to get over that? Because I, I would imagine sometimes, not that you're getting over it every day, but maybe sometimes it's daily. Maybe sometimes it's weekly. Yeah. I think every time you kind of go down that rabbit hole, you have to stop and realize that that's not your issue, that that person's surprise, that that person being shot, that that's not your issue. That's that person's issue. And, you know, I think there used to be this thing about, you know, it might've been a Covey or a Maxwell about taking on other people's monkeys, right? And I just try to remind myself, that is not my monkey. That is not my monkey to take and nurture. That is not my pet. And so I try not to take on other people's pets. And then I try to remind myself who I think I am, because that at the end of the day is really kind of what's most important is who I think I am and who I am and that I'm worthy. And my big thing right now is every morning I start my mornings with um, this is me from the greatest showman. And I just sing it at the top of my lungs. So wonderful. It is. Isn't. Oh. God, I love that song. It's such a great song. We yes. definitely have to put that on the Women in PT playlist now that I think about yes, it. Yes, it is um, a powerful message that absolutely. it is okay for you to be damaged and you still be wonderful. Awesome. I love it. Yes. I love that song and I love I love that you sing it every morning. And just so everyone out there who's listening to this, if you have the pleasure of meeting Lisa, um, you would never in a million years think that she suffers from imposter syndrome ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever in a million years, you would never think that. So yes, what she just told you to do, if you're feeling imposter syndrome, do it because it works. Oh, that is awesome. Yes. I just want everybody to know that it's normal. We all feel it. There are just some of us that feel it a little bit more, but that's when you sing it twice. Perfect. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for taking the time out and reflecting back on the CSM After Dark panel. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I I thank all the hosts for organizing it. Thank you to Dr. Lisa Van Hoos. And we will round out this CSM After Dark panel reflection with Dr. Uchenna Osai. Well, my name is Uchenna Osai, and I am a pelvic health physical therapist in Austin, Texas. Ha. My biggest takeaways. So this is going to be a little personal. Um, But my biggest takeaway was that I'm not alone. My experience being a black, female, mohawked, haired, (laughs) um, pelvic health PT is that I am alone. And, you know, my experience 
up to this point in my career after seven years of practice has been very isolating. And um, it was just so wonderful, not only to see a panel of, of individuals of various sizes, shapes, and colors, and sexual orientations, and gender identities, but also to look into the crowd and to see the majority there sitting and listening and holding space with me, seeing white men and women, white cisgender men and women, wanting to be there, wanting to learn, asking questions and being like, how can I help? Um, it is, there's nothing more inspiring and energizing than knowing that you have a community within a community. And I will say that once part one, which was put out a couple of weeks ago. So if you have not listened to part one, please go back and listen to part one of CSM After Dark. The response has been from people of different sizes and colors and backgrounds has been, it was so great to hear this because I felt so alone. You know, there was a Filipino physical therapist who said, oh, I loved it. It was so inspiring. And why isn't this being broadcast from everywhere and everything? Because after listening to this, I felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm not as alone as I thought I was going to be. So your sentiment was definitely shared by a lot of the listeners as well. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's amazing. I'm so happy that people connected with it. And I wanted to say that one of the things that was a big takeaway from you in particular at CSM and also at Graham Sessions, which was earlier this year in January in uh, San Diego, they had a diversity panel. I'm using quote unquote diversity <laughs> panel. And something that really stuck with me is you were telling a story of how when someone met you, I guess, in person, mm -hmm. they said, wow. You didn't sound black. Right. And I thought that was such, for me, that was a very big takeaway and very profound takeaway for me. So can you kind of talk a little bit about that and what that experience was like? Well, that's a mosquito bite. That's a microaggression, right? You know, as a black woman, I get a thousand of those a day. And if I focus on that, in particular, it'll literally drive me nuts. But I think if I take, if, if I can step out of myself after 30 plus years of hearing that, and I can pretend like there was the first time I'm hearing that, right? And I think I remember as a young kid hearing that, like seven or eight. And I, by then I already knew that I had to speak a certain way so that people would value me because that was a message I received. It's, it's kind of, it's dehumanizing, but it's also, it's, it's very, it, and I think when I, when I say this, I need people to hang in there with me. Um, it's very racist. That is the actual definition of racism because racism is assigning value according to someone's race. And so when you hear a relief in someone's voice or a surprise in someone's voice, right? Because she was saying, she, she was saying basically, you don't speak hood. Hood is black, quote, proper, end quotes, is white, and you speak proper. But then, you know, you can take it a step further because I've had people, patients, professors do this where they say, okay, well, you may speak proper, but that, that must mean you're, you're an exceptional 
person. You're, you're a good black. I, I think it, it took me years, years, decades, really, to kind of recognize my, my value as a human. And, you know, also, I've always been proud of being black, but I think my pride has improved. <laughs> it has ex- mm-hmm. over the past several years, after the, over the past decade, because we grew up in a society where white is right and black is bad <laughs> or not celebrated or seen in a certain light. Um, or when your experience as a minority is often dismissed, it's hard to have, it's hard to develop that sense of self-worth, self-worth, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's, it's fascinating because I think when you look at the physical, physical therapy profession as a whole or all professions, when it comes to education, that needs to be considered. You might have a student that is academically perfect may not excel in your program because there's no support for them. They might be the baddest academic superstar you have in your program, but they may not be as successful as a white student with a 3.0 GPA. And I don't even know if they do that in PT's programs anymore. <laughs> but um, that student might not do as well because, you know, they don't have the same cultural and societal support and expectations that your Caucasian student with a lesser GPA has. Yeah. And I think Rapal's kind of touched upon this a little bit mm-hmm. in the second part of the mm-hmm. podcast from CSM. So the one that came out last week, mm-hmm. um, she sort of touches upon this when it comes to the students within a physical therapy program that if a student, I think she's the example of, I think it was a, a student of color who was struggling and most people would have just written them off. Right. But instead she took them aside and what's going on? Right. And you find out this backstory. And so then she was able to give support to that student. And guess what? Student achieves. Right. Right. And I think it's, I think, you know, I had a fascinating discussion with a colleague of mine, um, or a friend of mine a couple of days ago about affirmative action. And she was discussing the experience of law school. And, I, and it's easy to look at these students who aren't performing and think that they're not academically prepared or that all of their, the reasons why they're not excelling is because they're poor. <laughs> and that's just not the case. Yeah. Or they're lazy. Or they're lazy or they're not as resilient. I mean, let's not get it twisted, everyone. If you have a student of color in an environment where they're one of two of 50, 70, they're excellent. And their excellence may not match with what your program can provide. And I would look at it like that. And, and I think that was a big point of what RuPaul brought up and actually what Lisa brought up in mm-hmm in our little sort of after, after the panel discussion like we're having now. Yeah. And, and another thing similar to your experience of someone saying, well, you don't sound black, mm-hmm. um, when Lisa was telling the story at, in, at the CSM panel that someone read her CV and when they met her, yes. and oh. I said, oh, they were surprised. And she was like, that's the word. They were surprised to meet me, which is fascinating. Right. You know, it, and, and as a society, obviously we shouldn't be surprised. The only time I'm surprised 
about the way someone speaks or who they are is when I first found out that the majority of the characters on The Walking Dead were British. <laughs> that was surprising because they <gasps> that is surprising. Like from Georgia. Holy crap. I British know. or Australian. That's surprising to me. That is some shocking news there. Yeah. Really? I knew yeah. the dude from Love Actually. Yeah, yeah. No, Maggie, Australian. <gasps> mm-hmm. Yeah. Word? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Australia. Yeah, a lot of oh them are. So, but that's the only time I feel like one should be surprised at how someone speaks is mm-hmm. when you see an actor who's got a great American accent, as it turns out, they're not. Right. Oh For God. someone to say to you, you don't sound black, that, that should not be a surprise. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I, my, my accent, I do, I do adjust even now. And I think it's less of a conscious thing. I think I just do it naturally because I grew up, I was trained to be that way. So sometimes if people see me like out on the streets, you know, <laughs> like with my friends, I'll speak a little differently. Everybody does. Everybody does, I think. Yeah, I think it's, you know, but I think for me, there's different repercussions. Yeah, for sure. I just feel like this After Dark panel was so enlightening. I was one of the people in the room and I was very happy to be there. And I definitely learned a lot from you and the other four ladies. Uh, So I just want to thank you for your honesty and your openness and your willingness to talk about your experiences in a room full of people who the majority of them did not have that experience. I think that's safe to say. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, I really, I am so grateful to have the opportunity to be asked and to the panel and to Sean and everyone. It's just great. And before we leave, I know you're doing some really fun things. So where can people find you if they want to know all the fun things that you're doing, like on the Instagram and whatnot? Well, um, I'm founder of UC Logic, which is Y-O-U-S-E-E Logic, which is a platform for adults um, basically to get sex education as grown folk. You know, as a pelvic health PT, I saw a lot of my patients and colleagues and friends and family who had questions about sex, who never got the sex ed that they should have gotten. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook at UC Logic. And, you know, on every Sunday night, I do bourbon tales where I answer people's questions, drink a sip of bourbon. So fantastic. And is there any, is there anything else that you want to share before we close it down? Um, I would say that think that all can be elevated by, you know, checking, understanding our bias and bias is not bad. It's bad when we deny that it exists and we are all, we are all human, you know, and talking about issues like race and diversity is not always going to be a warm and fuzzy experience. And when someone discusses those issues and you feel uncomfortable, just sit with that discomfort because realize, particularly if you're a non-person of color, if you're white, you're very rarely as uncomfortable as we are on a daily basis. So hang in there and you'll be better for it. Well, thank you. Beautifully said. So thank you for coming on a few weeks later and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Anytime. It was my pleasure. 
And everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you got a lot out of this three-part series because I think it's important and I think the information is timely. And I just hope that everyone got as much out of it as I did. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.